Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 15 through 17. We come to the first prayer of Paul, and the message is entitled, Prayer for Spiritual Illumination. This prayer runs from verse 15 to 23. The prayer contains 69 words in the Greek, 208 in the English, and the New King James. Um, the second prayer comes in chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. Paul has many prayers in his epistles. The intercessory prayer here of Paul is one complete sentence in the Greek. Once again, that runs from 12 to 23, just like the blessings of God the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit in verse 3 to 14. Paul was a man of prayer. We'll see this, and you can see this as you read his epistles all the time. At the beginning, in the middle, towards the end, just all over. Um, the Bible tells us it is um, through prayer that we are guided, illuminated, and strengthened, and encouraged and affirmed and built up in Christ Jesus so often. It is through prayer that we know God on the most intimate level. Jesus is our example as he always uh, took time to pray early in the morning. And he did nothing except by prayer to the Father. It is by and through prayer that the purposes and will of God are brought to pass most often. And uh, we don't understand prayer in its fullest, but we understand we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to bring everything to him, as we'll see tonight. George Whitfield <clears throat> said, quote, Whole days and weeks have I spent prostrated on the ground in silent and vocal prayer. Wow, I can't say that. <laughs> There have been some amazing men that God has called and used and anointed men of prayer. Daniel, as he went to Nebuchadnezzar and he went to God to prayer so he can give him the interpretation. Um, many men, uh, Elijah, men of prayer, and so many others, Moses. No man is greater than his prayer life, Leonard Ravenhill said. And yet it's probably the place where we fail the most, I included. I don't think I pray enough. We get caught up with things, and uh, certainly we can pray in the morning, and then at lunch, and then in the midday, or this and that. But really, um, we're to live in an attitude of prayer constantly. And that definitely is just, um, you're on constant life support. Uh, just shooting up prayers. It's not a matter of posture your body or laying down or being still. It's, it's an attitude of prayer continually, looking to Him. And so we want to look at the beginning of our study here of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians that is characterized by three things, verse 15 through 17. Let me read. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The three things that Paul's prayer is characterized by is, first of all, the reason for Paul's prayer, verse 15. The reason. Secondly, it's the response in Paul's prayer in verse 16. And thirdly, the request of Paul's prayer in 17. 
the reason, the response, and the request. The reason for Paul's prayer comes first in verse 15. Notice Paul had received news about the ongoing trust of sinners in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Remember that Paul spent a total of three years in Ephesus, personally witnessing many sinners to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But he is not speaking about this group now because... It's been, as we're going to see, about five years since he's left. So he's getting word five years later, four years later. He's already familiar. Remember, he was a pastor there for those three years. Paul arrived in the third missionary journey um, at Ephesus, and, and he taught for three months in the synagogue, reasoning and persuading concerning the kingdom of God there in Acts 19.8. And some spoke evil of the way. So he removed himself for, after he taught two years in the school of Tyrannus. And all in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jew and Gentile, in Acts 19, 9 and 10. In fact, they said that he had turned the world upside down. The city had many who were engaged in magical arts and occult. As Acts 19, 13 through 14 and 19 tell us. There was great adversaries. That's how Paul described an open door. <laughs> Many adversaries in Ephesus. Pray for me. Paul's ministry had affected the religious and commerce uh, of Ephesus. And um, a riot broke out, as you know, in Acts 19, uh, uh, 21 to chapter 20, verse 1. And um, it nearly cost him his life, and um, he had to depart to Macedonia. Many churches sprung up from Paul's ministry at Ephesus, as you know. Colossae, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and others. In fact, the seven churches' revelation are believed to be directly uh, or indirectly related to Paul. Because of his ministry, he was so responsible for all that area. Paul now, this was the past, five, four, five years before. Paul now is in a Roman prison where he's writing from, as you know. And he was hearing about their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, certainly it includes those that he had known, but there's many more. In other words, the implication we'll see is that the church is still being effective. Paul was in Rome, the chief city of the Roman Empire, where many visited Rome. That was the, the desire of all, whether they came through the Roman roads or through the port city. It had been, as I said, four to five years since he departed. And here the word faith that he speaks about refers to the conviction of truth about something or anything. In this case... It's that Jesus can forgive them of their sins and be saved. Faith in Jesus Christ. You can't just say, well, I believe that Jesus is a prophet, that he's a good man, that, that he's one of the avatars or whatever. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is who the Bible says he is, that he is the only one that can forgive sin, the Savior of the world. It's very specific. Paul was hearing from those coming to visit him in prison. 
about the ongoing conversion of Gentile Ephesians. Literally, having heard of in the Lord Jesus Christ, of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, that he was Lord, notice, and we've gone through these titles before, we're not going to belabor it. Curios means master, Christ, Christos means the anointed as Messiah, and his name Jesus means Yahweh of salvation. The Greek name of the name Joshua in the Hebrew, Yahweh Shua. Gabriel said to Mary, he shall save his people from their sins in Matthew 1, 23. Now the church was um, continuing to stand strong in their obedience and their faithfulness to preach the power of the gospel. This is the only, only mark of a true church. That the gospel is proclaimed and the power of the Holy Spirit converts the heart and edifies the saints on an ongoing basis. When the church ceases to reach out and affect sinners and to transform the believer, the church becomes a club, a social club. Being effective against the temple of the famous goddess Diana, as you know. Multi-breasted statue claiming to have fallen from Zeus or Jupiter in Acts 19.35. Standing and resisting all the allurements and the temptation of such a corrupt and luxurious city. Like living in Vegas. The allurement, the entrapments, the, everything is there. And yet the power of the gospel was breaking through all of that. Notice Paul also had received news about the ongoing treatment of the saints. And your love for all the saints. So not only the power to convert, but the power to continue depending on the Lord for that which we cannot do in ourselves. If you walk with the Lord for a long time, pretty soon you start thinking that what God is doing, you're really doing it, not Him, if you're not careful. And you forget that it is He who's doing it through you, and you start thinking of yourself a little bit different than you really were before, years past. <laughs> This is always the proper order. Faith in God through Jesus Christ must come first. Faith is the source of all that is to follow in the life of the Christian. Faith is the seed of all that will be the fruit of one's life in Christ. Love for the brethren always comes second. Faith comes first. You can't have love for the brethren without faith in Jesus Christ. It's impossible. Love is the fruit of faith. Just like the first table of the law. Love and obedience to God comes first. Then the second table, love and obedience towards our brother, the mankind. Notice the declaration is all-inclusive love for all the saints. 
As you know, the word here, love, is agape. It indicates God's divine love. This is distinct from the other forms of love that we come across in Scripture and in the Greek language. It's distinct from the word eros, which we get our word erotic from, as sexual. Um, nothing wrong with that physical and sexual love in and of itself. God made us male and female for that purpose. He made us in that way so that there is a strong attraction. There is a strong appeal and satisfaction in the joining of two. But it's in the context of marriage. As an expression of one's love and commitment for life and also for the procreation, the continuation of the human race. And that children might have a decent and ethical and moral and orderly home by which they could grow up safely and soundly and productively. This is God's design. Marriage is not just for the Christian. It's for all human beings. So there's order and morality and decency and protection for children and for women. Women without heads are open prey. Always have been, always will be. The only thing today is women don't think they're to prey. Now they're the huntress. <laughs> they're as bad as men. Sometimes even worse. But God wants to protect women. That's why he gives them husbands and fathers. This also is distinct from the emotional and compatible love, mental love of, of phileo. It's a proper love. We hit it off emotionally. We like the same things. We have the same likes, dislikes, things that, that we, uh, uh, we agree with. But once again, if, if your love is only based on that sexual, then sooner or later you're going to be looking around for a new toy. And if it's only based on the emotional, then somewhere along the line, you're going to disagree. And the minute you understand that you can manipulate that person emotionally to get your way, watch out. Men are masters of this. Because women are moved more emotionally in their decision-making so they're always taken advantage of. Not because you're inferior intellectually, because God has wired you differently. Every Christian has this capacity, but we don't always yield to it, to God's agape love. So we yield to our carnality. We yield to our manipulation of emotions and to get our way. First John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love uh, in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Notice, um, this is irrespective of the individual's background, culture, religious belief prior to the conversion. He says, you love all the saints. The word all simply means every, any, and anyone. No one's excluded by the Ephesians. And the word saints is hagios, the holy ones, the ones set apart. As a result of their faith in salvation in and through Jesus Christ. 
the word saints is to ever remind us of our spiritual bankruptcy as sinners to live out the life of Christ on our own energies. That this can only be done as a saint to other saints. We also can do this to the non-believer, but they're not included here right now. But it does come in other passages. Love your enemies. Heap coals upon his head means do beneficial things for him, not get a man. <laughs> Pray for your enemies. The one having been saved, yielding to the agape love of God for another that is saved, both disregarding their past distinction, their differences, their corruption and lifestyle of sin they came out of, and only seeing a new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17. Wow. Now, as a natural man and as a natural woman, we're very cordial, very respectful, and we accept people. But as we accept them, we're saying in our heart, hmm, he used to be this, huh? Hmm, she used to be that. And as a new creation in Christ Jesus, a saint, those capacities are still there. And when they do, I am to put an end to them. I'm to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me, cleanse me. I'm not to go there. I have the capacity not to go there anymore. If I don't yield and recognize the check of the Spirit of God, my flesh will keep going. Is that clear? And you can't blame God. It's me. I'm responsible for that. Just as a parent would be as they heard of the integrity, honesty, and development of their child far away. So Paul is just so joyous. They're his spiritual children. He was their pastor for over three years. He's in prison. And yet they're they're moving forward. As a believer, how I rejoice to hear that those who have come to Christ many years ago are continuing to walk in the faith of Jesus Christ and their love for the saints. Someone just shot me a picture of this um, two days ago of, um, of a guy I used to work with over in Johnson Pump right on Lone Hill. Now you have the Chevy dealer and all that. I used to be Johnson Pump myself, Jim Sheets, Gary Cervantes. Many of us worked there. I used to make big pumps for sub pumps for Saudi Arabia, different things. And... Um, we, we all witnessed there, and many came to know the Lord, and, and they sent me a picture of one of the guys that worked there. His name was little Joe. And we're up in the canyon, and we're baptizing 
And we all had big old naturals and everything else. Uh, I was probably 24 years old then. And um, that water was cold, running down from the mountains. We are in the water about a half hour. And just thinking, I wonder if little Joe's still walking. And looking next to me, I see Dave's shoulder, his side of his face, and I know he's walking. What a joy that after all these years, he's still walking. You know what I mean? And you see the years that go on, the people that still walk, and what a joy it is. Um, whether they come here or wherever, it doesn't make any difference as long as they're walking with the Lord. Paul, after he was released from prison in Rome, he left Timothy as pastor of Ephesus and exhorted him to continue at Ephesus. And he charged him that no one teach any other doctrine but Christ as evidence of his love for God and the saints in 1 Timothy 1.3. You see, love protects. And faith in Christ is loyal to Christ and Christ alone, not the people. We trust each other. Because we, try, we trust Christ in us, the hope of glory. We do not dare trust each other on the natural basis. That's not the basis of my trust in you. My trust and my joy in you is that you're walking in Christ Jesus and you're yielding to him. And that you're walking in the spirit and growing in him. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you and you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So the distinguishing mark of the church and the believer is love for one another. Very important. As a believer, I also rejoice when I hear of sinners coming to Christ and I'm to love them. As saints, regardless of their social standing, regardless of their economical level, regardless of their lifestyle of sin, as I mentioned earlier. I don't, um, when you come and talk to me, I don't say, oh yeah, a black man came and talked to me, a white man came and talked to me. I know you're white, I know you're black, but I don't. That's not what I focus on. I, I, I look at you as a brother or a sister. And only in Christ can we do away with all the junk that comes into our hearts and through the culture and through the, the sin nature. Those things are ever present. Weeds are ever present in your garden. But because you spend time in the garden and pull them up and spray them, then you're going to have a nice garden. But if you don't spend time in your garden, spiritually speaking, you're going to have all kinds of weeds. You've got to pull them. You've got to spray them. Everything else. Acts 10.28 says, Then he said to them, <clears throat> Peter speaking, as he went to the house of Cornelius, and he, was, he accepted the Gentiles, then he went back to Jerusalem. He says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with, with or go into one another's nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. 
We know no man after the flesh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 on down to where he says we're a new creature in Christ Jesus in 17. So in other words, if, if you and I were friends in the world and, 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 and we did all kinds of stuff in the world, then I'm not supposed to look at you as that any longer. I knew you after the flesh one time. I don't know you after the flesh any longer. But as a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's a constant warfare that comes into our mind and our hearts. On whatever level it is. I'm with whoever it is. Some harder than others. Philemon, verse 4 through 6, he says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ, toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you and in Christ Jesus. As you know, Paul is interceding for Onesimus, the slave for Philemon. He ripped off Philemon, he ran away, and he ends up in, in Roman uh, jail with, with Paul. And he gets saved. Interesting. Interesting, the church of Ephesus, despite of great pastors, Paul, Timothy, and John the Beloved, it was castigated for leaving its first love in Revelation 2, 1 and 4. This is the first step that leads a person to stray from God. You have left your first love. One thing I have against you. You as a husband and wife, leave your first love. You're going to end up in bed with someone else. It's just a matter of time. It's not if, it's when. You must cultivate your love for the Lord. You must cultivate your love or your wife, or your husband. The reason for Paul's prayer was due to their faith and love. Faith and love. Now look at the response of Paul's prayer in verse 16. Do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. The Apostle Paul declared that they were always or that he was always praying for them, or that they were always in his prayers. Either way, the Apostle Paul was a man of prayer, as you know. The phrase, do not cease, means he never stopped praying for them. Now, it doesn't mean he prayed constantly without stopping, but he always prayed for them. There's a difference. I always pray for my son, who's over in Afghanistan a lot. I pray for him constantly, but I don't pray 24 hours a day. <laughs> the tense is the indicative present middle voice. He did this himself on an ongoing basis when he would pray. The day, remember, in which Paul lived is far different than the days that we live in. The days he lived in were... Um, didn't have as many constant distractions and uh, crowds. And that made it much more conducive for prayer. Um, when we travel, we're in the car, we're in the 
radio going on. We've got, you know, traffic going on. We've got all kinds of stuff, you know, and we've got to watch out for the guys that are texting and the guys that are reading and, you know, and women are putting makeup on the freeway. These are all things that I see every morning. It's amazing. Amazing. You know, he would walk. Many times they would just walk. Jesus would walk. Not that many people around. You're able to talk to the Lord. You're able to meditate on Scripture. You're able to mull over the verses, the chapter that you've read, whatever it is. God's able to deal with your heart from nature, different things. The noise pollution, the light pollution wasn't around as much. Now, none of that excuses us from not praying. <laughs> but how much better we would be in such an environment. That's one of the things that many people get tired of the city and they sell everything and go somewhere else. The problem today is that everywhere is a paradise and then people get there and it becomes a hellhole. Because it's instant transfer of culture today. People years back in the last century, they would move somewhere, a new society, a new town. It would grow with, you know, they're trying to build it and it's a, it's, people know each other and they can trust each other and they, they watch out for each other. Today, it's, it's instant buildings, instant societies, instant city, and instant transfer of the drugs, of the, of the killing, of everything. You can't escape it. Whole different dynamic. The Apostle Paul, notice, provides the evidence of his commitment to pray for those who had come to Christ in the opening of his letter. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy and your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Just that, that's what he does as he writes these letters. In Colossians 1, 3 through 4, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. So remember, Ephesians and Colossians are sister epistles. They were written at the same time. There's a lot of similarity with it, but there's different focuses on it. And when we went through it, we pointed it out, but, but they're, they're similar. But the context sometimes is a little different. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, um, it says, Give thanks. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And we can go on with other epistles, the same thing. Paul was always praying for these churches that he had evangelized and he knew how the, 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 the pagan culture they were in and, and the difficulties of that because he traveled, he was there, he was stoned, he was persecuted, he was confronted, he was opposed, everything. He understood what they were in for. Notice the Apostle Paul declared that he prayed to give thanks for them. The most basic characteristic of a Christian is that of being thankful. Thankful. The word thanks means to be grateful, simple. How ugly it is when a person is not thankful in society. 
when a son or a daughter or an adult would take things for granted thinking that they deserve it and they become demanding and entitled. It causes a person to be provoked against them, not desiring to give them anything. In fact, take what they do have <laughs> because they're ungrateful. But this is a characteristic that's to be noted of and by the believer. That we're grateful. Not just for these who are coming to Christ and those who are continuing Christ, but on every level. Sometimes we can look at just so many negative things that happen that pretty soon we become tainted and we become bitter and we think that God has it out for us. And um, when those things happen, you have to remember Daniel. You have to remember Joseph. You have to remember Esther. Um, you have to remember God's goodness and God's faithfulness. The idea is one of appreciation, understanding the value of something or someone. Um, the word's found 39 times in the New Testament. The context will dictate um, what the gratefulness is given for. The word is a participle in the present active. Not that he was thinking about it. Not that he was planning on it. But rather he was doing it at the present and on an ongoing basis. This was his practice. The most basic gratefulness of Paul would be twofold. For the response to the gospel in faith and ongoing growth in their faith. Simple. You as a parent, you want to see your child grow, develop and mature from the minute you bring them home on every level, physical, mental, emotional. And once they've reached adulthood, you want to see them continue in the same way so they can be an asset to society and not a liability. So they can help others and they don't have to be helped by others. Also for their constant witness of the gospel for others to come to faith in Christ. Because they were light in the midst of darkness. Ephesus is a very dark place. Very dark place. You ever um, fly over Vegas or be out there on the road towards it or leaving it. And you look back, it just looked like a big old light straight up to the sky. It shows you how dark it is. It's trying to present itself as light, but it's really dark. You see, if it wasn't dark, it wouldn't need those lights, would it? <laughs> it's right out there in the desert. Black as night. Notice the intercession for them took place as they came to his mind. The phrase making mention means putting forth by remembering. The word is translated remembrance and remember two times in Philippians 1.3 and 2 Timothy 1.3. The five other times it's translated mention is here in our text. Romans 1.9, 1 
Philippians 1, 3, um, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, 3, 3, 3, 6, and Philemon 4. And um, you think on things. All of a sudden, the Lord brings things to your mind, stirs your heart up. Or you hear something, and all of a sudden, this person will flash in your mind. God will bring them to your mind. And um, you shoot them up to the Lord, and Lord, just bless them, guide them. Lord, touch their bodies as that cancer. And, you know, this is the whole idea that God's the one in control, moving in the midst of us and, and through us to put everything together to do His work um, as we fitly join together. And the word for prayer there means prayer in general. The idea is one of worship and reverence. But unlike supplication, this word is always used for God, never for man. The protection is behind all this for protection as they were faithful witnesses for the ongoing wisdom, strength, and guidance. Um, because again, they're in the midst of darkness. So the whole asset behind prayer is to benefit that individual on whatever their need may be. Uh, that's the heart of prayer. Matthew eleven twenty five says, And at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. <laughs> you see, God doesn't reveal to us the things of God because we're so smart. But because we come as little children depending on Him and believing that He is a good Heavenly Father. Totally trusting Him to do what He says He will do. The Thessalonians were commanded three things even though they had experienced difficult times in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5 um, verse uh, 16 through 18 uh, in 16 he says regarding their attitude he says rejoice always that's the first thing he deals with regarding their attitude rejoice always joy is the fruit of the spirit it has nothing to do with our situation or circumstance. It has nothing to do with your emotions or feelings. Joy is a work of the Spirit. If you're looking to be happy, you're not going to be very happy most of the time because your happiness is, you're looking based on your feelings, your emotions, your circumstance, your situation. Joy has nothing to do with any of those early things. It has to do with who's in you and who you're looking to. Jesus Christ. Secondly, in verse 17 of Thessalonians 5, regarding their prayers. Pray without ceasing. That's a command. Prayer is like air. Like breathing. If you want to know how long you can go without prayer, pinch your nose and cup your mouth, and let's see how long you can hold on. That's how long you can go without prayer. And to live in an attitude of prayer. A constant dependence on the Lord. Knowing that in you there is not one good thing. Knowing that if you take hold of your life. You will destroy it. We will do the stupidest things. We will do the dumbest things. 
if we walk in the flesh, if we walk after our own understanding. The third is in verse 18 regarding their gratefulness in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. <laughs> everything, everything. We don't thank God for our tragedies. We thank and worship God through the tragedies. To speak to my heart. To give me peace. To give me strength. Because many of those things don't make sense here. You take the life of Joseph. His brothers intended it for evil and God intended it for good. We don't always know how things are working behind the scenes. But we're not morbid. We're not sadomasochist. I can be worshiping God and just expressing my love for him and be totally broken over the situation. That can't happen when you're not in Christ. In fact, that will not happen if you walk in the flesh as a Christian, not depending on Christ. And it's a real warfare at times. Sometimes it's long-term, long-place warfare. Sometimes it's hand-to-hand combat. Close encounter. That's why I must walk in the Spirit. That's why I must put on the armor of God. The Philippians were given an important spiritual counsel involving prayer by Paul in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Uh, we are to bring all things to God in prayer first, he says in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, for in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Anxiety. Today we hear so much about people's, uh, you know, uh, people have this syndrome of anxiety attacks. You know, through pressure and all this stuff and all that. Because people carry things and they just take more than they can handle and, and they're not looking to the Lord. It's easy to do. The whole world bombards you with all their nifty little things and all their little hooks and everything. We're to obey and pray. The, the, the end of 6 says, let your request be made known to God. So, not only are we to bring everything, but then we're to do it. Knowing that doesn't make it effective, I've got to do it. And we will reap the benefits of protecting our hearts and mind. Listen, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. I have experienced this in some very difficult times in my life. And then I have forfeited that experience on other times when they haven't been that difficult. And I thought I could handle it myself. So I've been on both sides of the fences. I think you have too. But it's always a choice. Paul told Timothy the extent of his um, prayers for the lost in 1 Timothy 2.1. He says, for all sinners 
are to be saved. That's his desire. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplication, prayers, and intercession be given, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And as you move on to verse 3, he says for, that all may be saved. So God desires that all be saved. God sent a son for the whole world. But yet God knows not all will be saved. But it's not because God didn't choose them. It's because they have not bowed their knee to Christ. Simple. Those prayers are for be to those who are ruling uh, over us to benefit the believer. He says in verse 2 of First uh, Timothy 2, uh, For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. So we pray for those in authority because we know that God moves and, and if God intervenes and God deals with their heart, then it's going to benefit the church, right? Now, how does that all work? I don't know. I don't worry about that. I just pray. And God's on the throne, right? We need to pray for those who reject the gospel and are left behind. When we're raptured out of here, that they might yield to the grace of God and repent and be looking for the second coming of Christ. If not, they're going to bow their knee to the Antichrist and take that mark. The response in Paul's prayer was by faith and love. <laughs> He's giving thanks for their faith and love, but his whole motivation in response is faith and love. He's trusting God to do what he's asking to do because he loves them. Notice thirdly in verse 17, the request of Paul's prayer. The apostle Paul addressed his prayer to God the Father. Take note that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. So the word that refers um, here refers to intent and purpose. The word that. It's, um, they call it a henna clause because the word is henna. It's a purpose clause. You could read it as follows, that Paul was praying for them in order that God the Father would answer his specific petition that is going to follow. And it's very specific. Paul, once again, is going to mention all three persons of the Godhead in their perspective parts in the ongoing growth, development, maturity of the believer's salvation. God. Theos refers to the Father, the Father of glory, as the source, the first person of the Trinity that we saw from verse 3 to 6 of chapter 1. Our Lord Jesus Christ refers to the Son of God, the channel, the second person of the Trinity, the agent, or the channel there, 7 to 12, the Lord Jesus and then you have the spirit of wisdom, referring to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. This is the agent, the same as we saw in verse 13 and 14. So you saw the Father um, back in the beginning, um, 3 to 6, and the Son, 7 to 12, and then 13 and 14, the Holy Spirit. Here we go again, because you can't separate the three. And it's not always necessary to point out and distinguish them, but they're, they, they just, they're in there. You know what I mean? A threefold core is not easily broken, the scriptures declare. Now the Spirit is that third person that has been left to us by Jesus Christ. We touched on it 
as we've been going through Luke, John 14, 15, and 16. The mediator is Jesus for all answered prayer. Mark it well. He is the only way to the Father, John 14, 6. He is the only name to be saved, Acts 4, 12. And he's the only mediator, 1 Timothy 2, 5. Nobody else. Mary, Peter, the Pope, you, nobody can do it. Now, we can pray for each other as Christians. We can pray with each other as Christians. But the mediator is Jesus Christ. Okay? I don't pray for you because I'm closer to God or I'm, I'm somehow holier than you. But we can pray with each other and for each other as believers. Notice the Apostle Paul prayed the Father would impart insight for living. This is a specific prayer petition. This is the Hena clause. The purpose clause may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul requested, his request here is that God work through the Holy Spirit to impart wisdom. The word for spirit is not capitalized, as you can see in your text, giving the idea that it may refer to the human spirit of man. But the context refutes this, which is prayer to God by the man Paul. The petition is that God impart what is being requested. So it's from heaven to earth. And the natural spirit of man cannot be the source of the supernatural, only the container of the supernatural. We can receive it, we can contain it, but we are not the source in any way. Therefore, <clears throat> the word spirit should be capitalized because it refers to the Holy Spirit. The context demands it, the petition implies it, and the supernatural nature confirms it. As you look at that. Then notice Paul requested that God would give to the Ephesians first the spirit of wisdom. Wisdom, Sophia, it means the broad and full intelligence of knowledge and information in order to make the best choice. The word appears 51 times in the New Testament. And the word is not referring to natural wisdom of man, but the wisdom of God from above. Divine. Paul contrasts, as you know, the wisdom of the wise in the world to the supreme wisdom of God in Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. Hands down, God wins. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? <laughs> For if they had known um, God through the wisdom of man, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul requested that God would also give to the Ephesians the spirit of revelation. So wisdom is more than just facts and information. It's the understanding, the comprehension, the assimilation, and the delivery of the best choice. That's wisdom. Here revelation means unveiling, to lay bare. The word is used of the unveiling of Jesus Christ as the glorified Christ, the high priest in Revelation 1.1. It's found 18 times in the New Testament. 
And the word refers to the understanding and insight pertaining to the truth of the things of God. Individual things that you're understanding. Different areas, different subjects, different things that are going on. And then the understanding of how those things and those parts and that information works in the whole of the scenario ends up being wisdom to be able to make the best choice. It's amazing how many dumb, worldly, wise people are. They do the dumbest things. Real smart people. Being smart, having knowledge and information doesn't make you wise. Wisdom is the, the end product of the best choice. The word here, unveiling, refers to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. To illuminate the Christian to know and understand spiritual truth that cannot be credited to his own natural understanding. This is clear throughout the scriptures. Then notice the Apostle Paul declared this wisdom and revelation is contained in Jesus. It always comes back to him, doesn't it? <laughs> you just can't get away from it. In the knowledge of him. Paul is referring to a very specific knowledge here. The word knowledge, epinosis, the prefix epi, means intense. In other words, it is deep knowledge, full knowledge, marked by experience, not just intellectual information. It appears 20 times in the New Testament. And Paul is speaking about the necessary partnership of prayer, study, and obedient living experienced. You can't separate them. Approaching the study of the Word of God in prayer for an open heart to God. Or being having a teachable heart for a humble and reverent approach to God's Word. Reading and studying the Word of God constantly in an attitude of prayer. To not study, just to gather information. To allow God's Word to shed light on the areas of my life that are... Uh, that need growth and where I fail. To be able to give answers to those who do not know God. When they ask me certain things about God, sin, salvation, the world, the future, the coming of Christ. And then living out the word of God by accompanied prayer. The experience is to experience that of the spirit of wisdom and revelation in our lives. That's why we do that. That's why we obey and look to Him. To reveal the spirit of wisdom and revelation through our lives to others. First to us. That we know it's there by God. And then to others as they look upon our lives. The result of the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus is the believer's life will be declared in the next verses. See, this is the purpose clause. And when this takes place, the result will be verse 18 through 23. 
So this is a specific petition. And the result of this petition will manifest all the things from verse 18 to 23. The result. Paul is praying for the Ephesians that as they continue to walk in Christ, all that they learn might be made alive by the Holy Spirit, giving them spiritual and practical understanding regarding all their spiritual blessings. You remember Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith fail not. Where Satan asked to sift him out his wheat. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you, Peter. And when Peter had returned to Christ, he was strengthened. And he was, then was to strengthen his brethren. Luke 23, 31 through 32. That's our same responsibility. The scriptures teach there is a chain of command in prayer. We're to ask the Father all things in the name of Jesus. No one else were to go to the Father. Listen carefully. In John 14, 13 and 14, it says, And whoever, whatever you ask in my name, Jesus speaking, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Then in John 16, 23, he's very specific. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most surely, or verily, verily, I say to you, whatever you ask, the Father in my name, I will give it to you. So we have a chain of command. We ask the Father in the name of Jesus. People say, well, what can I just go straight to Jesus? Yeah, sure, you can go to Jesus, I'm sure. And God's not gonna, but he says, go to the Father in Jesus' name. Why would you want to mess up the chain of command? Do you think this is just a suggestion? Do you think he's just kind of saying, well, you know, whatever. We go to the Father in Jesus' name. The wisdom of God is found in Jesus. No one else. Listen to Isaiah 11, 2, prophetic of him. And this, the Spirit of the Lord Yahweh shall rest upon him, speaking of Christ, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord Yahweh. Colossians 2, 3 says, In him, Christ Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. No one else. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can teach us spiritual things. Listen to what Paul tells the Corinthians, the first Corinthians two, nine through sixteen. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to them or to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit whom is from God, that we might know the things that, are, that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things to spiritual, Scripture to Scripture. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual 
judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Listen how he finishes. But we have the mind of Christ. How blessed we are. How grateful we should be that we can receive things from God. Wisdom for life, direction, strength, power, insight. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him, James 1, 5 and 6. The request of Paul's prayer was to be wise in their faith and love. And so, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians here in this opening chapter is characterized by the reason for Paul's prayer. It was due to their faith and love. The response in Paul's prayer was by faith and love for them. And the request of Paul's prayer was to be wiser in their faith and love. What a good start for Ephesians, huh? <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your grace and love. Deal with our hearts and we thank you for your grace over our life and the Holy Spirit that just lives through you and through us, Lord, to do your will. And so we pray, Lord, that in all things we would just yield to you. We pray for the needs that are here tonight. Lord, there's some very difficult circumstance situations. Some are just uh, um, spiritual. Others are physical. But, Lord, we pray for both, that you would just have your hand upon us, Lord, and that you would just cause us to rest in you. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. To repent of your sins. Maybe you've never come to know Him. Maybe this is the first time you've heard the gospel of repentance. Maybe it's going to be the last. I don't know. If you're over the internet, you can accept Christ right where you sit. Just as these people that are here. This is your prayer of repentance. You're asking Jesus to forgive you. And to make you a son or daughter Trusting that he died in your place and made payment for your sin as he rose from the dead. So if you want to be born again, this is your prayer to the Lord. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you. As my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.